Well, Jesus Christ, there is none like you, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. Lord, we bless your name. Jesus Christ, we declare you are the head of this church. You are the king of all kings. You are the Lord of all lords. All hail the king. Awake our souls today, Lord, to that truth again. Refresh our hearts in that truth again of who you say you are. And Father, as we open your word right now, I pray you would give us clarity. You would give us conviction, Lord, about true worship. The only worship that you will receive, the worship that you command from us, God, would you see a church and work in the hearts of every person here, Lord, to offer you true worship in spirit and in truth and what that means and how that looks as directed by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we give it all to you. We ask you to remove distraction from this place. Anything that's on our minds and on our hearts right now, I pray in an act of faith, we would just cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory and all the honor. Help us to humble ourselves under your word right now. Fill my mouth. Say what you want to say. And do what you want to do in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, happy Thanksgiving, church. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. If you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, put up your hand. Our ushers are coming right now. We want to put a copy of God's Word in your lap. We're going to go verse by verse, line by line, through this section of Scripture today. John 4, verses 20 to 24. And it's on page 518 in those Bibles that are being handed out. Well, here we are in the middle of our series called Discovering Hope. And the focus here of this series is it's giving a portrait of a church, of the life of a believer, individually as well, that is alive or walking in Christ. And so far in this series, let's get caught up. We start out by looking at the mission of the church that is walking in Christ, that is to make disciples. And we moved on to the motive behind that mission, which is a love, increasing love for God and love for one another. And now, two weeks ago, we started into the method, the method, the six distinctives. You see them at the front here on these two banners. The six distinctives that Christ has given the church that he promises to bless and build it through when they are present in it. And we looked at the first one, as you see here, fervent prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. So I was to start everything off, and then we moved to bold preaching last week, where we preach one message, the gospel, and we rely and depend on one power God's power through that. And then today, we're going to look at the third distinctive that Christ says must be present, and that is true worship. Isn't it proper? I love the Lord's timing on this. Isn't it proper that at Thanksgiving, we're talking about worship? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his timing. But what we're going to see here, the big idea for today that's going to set their trajectory for the rest of this service is this. A church, you'll see it on the screen, a church alive in Christ will offer true worship to Christ. A church that is alive in Christ will offer true worship to Christ. 
Not as a one day or one place offering, not just like a a Sunday morning. Well, it's Sunday morning, so I guess I'm going to worship now. Not as a small group thing when we sing songs, but true worship as a lifestyle. A lifestyle of true worship, day to day, moment by moment. Now get this, both in the lyrics that we sing and the lives that we bring before the Lord. Let me get that again. Both in the lyrics that we sing and in the lives that we bring to the Lord as an offering each day. This is the very thing Isaiah 43 tells us is the very thing we were created for. But let's get some clarity on what we're speaking of. It's so important we get on the same page as to what worship truly is. And you'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Worship is the passionate expression. There's our passionate worship. The passionate expression. Now, here, here, here's what I'm going to say with that. Passionate does not mean out of control. I'm going to say it again. Passionate worship does not mean out of control worship. If our worship is distracting others from exalting Jesus Christ, we are not worshiping in spirit and in truth. End of story. This is not rolling on the floor at the front of the church, barking like a dog, anything like that. Scripture is very clear. Just read 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see it. Orderly worship is true worship in spirit and in truth. Passion does not mean out of control. Moving on. (laughs) Worship is the passionate expression of what? My love for God because of his love for me that overflows in my life and from my life. See, it's a lifestyle of worship. One that is walking in Christ. Of course, it makes sense. If you're walking in Christ, you're living a life in Christ, and worship is a lifestyle to Christ. But that begs the question, what does true worship look like? If this is what God expects, then what does true worship look like? We need to get on the same page as the Lord with this. And you say, well, wait a second, why is that so important that we focus on this thing, true worship? Because here's the reality. God expects certain worship true worship from his people, and it's the only kind he's going to receive. God expects true worship from his people, and it's the only kind he will receive and give his blessing towards. But if you look around the landscape today, you're going to see very quickly there's a problem. The true worship that God commands is increasingly rare in the church today. Let me say it again. The true worship God commands from his church is increasingly rare in the church today. You say, what do you mean? Here's a few examples. Man's performance is replacing Christ's presence as the foundation of worship. Man's performance is replacing Christ's presence as the foundation of worship. Here's another one. Man's words are replacing God's word as the truth in worship. Me, 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 center, center, center. Next. 
fame of man is replacing the fame of Christ as the goal of worship. Fame of man is replacing the fame and glory of Christ as the goal of worship. And the result of this, increasingly, God's manifest presence is not in it and his blessing is not on it. Individually in our lives and corporately in his church. And the Lord is calling his church to true worship. He's commanding it of his church. And here in our text today, we're going to see two marks of true worship that God is seeking from us. If we are to offer true worship to him and see his power, presence, and glory manifest in it and through it. Let's honor the authority of God's word. I would ask that you would stand as we read today's text. John chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And she starts off by saying, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first point we see here today from our first three verses is this, that to live a life of true worship, my worship must be offered from one place, in Christ alone. My worship must be offered from one place in Christ alone. And the question that we are confronted from the first three verses of this text is this. True worship of God flows from the presence of God. Let me say it again. True worship of God flows from the presence of God. Does he dwell in me? Does he dwell in me? in me. Let's get some context for our passage today, and it is this. Jesus, he's about 30 years old right now, and his public ministry has just started. And he travels from the outskirts of Jerusalem in the south of Israel to the town of Sychar. You see that? So he's down there by the Jericho area, and he travels north to the town of Sychar, which is in the region, you'll see there, of Samaria. And he stops, it's about 70 miles walk. He, Jesus, being fully human as well as fully divine, he gets tired and he rests by a well called Jacob's Well. And while he's there, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, no coincidence. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well and Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And in the first part of chapter 4, if you read it for yourself, you can see that he's speaking to her about living water. The living water of salvation in him and that if she receives him as the Savior, she will never be thirsty again. And now, beginning in verse 20, 
the conversation switches. It switches to the topic, the hot topic between Jews and Samaritans of worship. We have to understand the significance here to get the context and understand this text. Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. They hated each other. They, they didn't speak to each other and they went out of their way to avoid each other at all costs. There was a deep racial prejudice between them. In fact, if a Jew was traveling and needed to go north to Galilee, they would often take the extra long route around Samaria so they didn't have to walk through it because they believed that if you spoke with a Samaritan, if you touched anything that a Samaritan owned, you would be unclean. That's how deeply this racial divide was. And with that racial prejudice, there was always also a religious prejudice happening. Samaritans regarded only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as authority. Unlike the Jews in the south by Jerusalem, that the pure Jews, so to speak, who regarded the whole Hebrew canon, the whole Old Testament as authoritative. Now, as you can imagine, this created some tension because it resulted in the proper place for worship of God becoming one of the most controversial topics between these two groups. Where was the proper place to worship? And this is why the woman confronts Jesus with this in verse 20. Just read the text. You'll see what it says. It says this. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say, Jesus being a Jew, you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She says, our fathers, who's she talking about? The Samaritan ancestors, the patriarchs they're called, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the mountain she's speaking of is Mount Gerizim. You'll see it here, Mount Gerizim, right there. So they're in the town of Sychar on the far right. That's where they are. And there's Mount Gerizim. Now, Mount Gerizim is mentioned in the Pentateuch near where Abraham and Isaac built altars of worship to God. And so as such, to honor, because they only took the first five books of the Bible as authority, they built a rival temple on top of Mount Gerizim to worship God. And this is why she goes on to say in the back half of verse 20 that Jesus, being a Jew, says that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship or else, she says, She's indicating that it wasn't true worship. See, see, the Jewish people in the South, they said you ought to. It was absolutely necessary to offer worship in the temple at Jerusalem that God, throughout the Old Testament, gave the blueprints to David for and then made Solomon build that for his glory. He said you have to worship there or it's not true worship. So you see these worship wars that are going on. But now look at Jesus' response in 21 and 22. Jesus says to her, woman, believe me. Now, he's not sitting here rebuking her saying, yo, woman, I'm going to throw down. No, no, no. It's gentle. It's respectful. It's affectionate. He's caring for her. He says, woman, believe me. That means what I'm telling you is true. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from 
the Jews. See what Jesus does there? He refuses to engage the argument about the proper place. Jerusalem, Gerizim, temple here, temple there. And he tells her that the hour is coming when true worship will not be based on any external practice or location. It's not going to be based on you going through the motions at specific times or places. That's about to become obsolete. When? Tells us. At the hour. See that? The hour is coming. What's the hour referring to? All throughout the Gospel of John, it is this. The time of Jesus' death and resurrection from the grave. And then in verse 22, he tells her that in light of this hour that's coming, right now all she, he says, you worship what you don't know. That's a plural you. He's not talking just about this lady. He's talking about all the Samaritans. He says, you worship a God that you don't know. Recall, they only viewed the first five books of the Bible as authoritative. And they didn't have the full revelation of God through the whole Old Testament. And they didn't know the whole truth of salvation that God had revealed to them up to this time. And so their worship, who they were worshiping, was unknown to them. And we can see clearly again right here. This is going to be a theme all throughout Jesus' talk here. You cannot truly worship a God you do not truly know. I'm going to say it again. You cannot truly worship a God you do not truly know. But see, the Jews, they believed the whole Old Testament, the full revelation of God, so they did know the truth of what they worshipped, the true God, and that salvation, as, as pointed to in all the Old Testament, because all the Old Testament points to Christ, they knew that salvation, the rescue or deliverance from sin, would come from them, from the Jewish people, even though they didn't know that he would be Jesus. They knew the Messiah was coming. They didn't know it would be Jesus. This Jesus who through his death and resurrection would make the external place and outward practices of worship a non-issue. Obsolete. Because from that point on, from the hour of his death and resurrection, the temple, the temple would be the heart that has been saved and made new by him where the Holy Spirit of God now dwells within it. And what he's trying to get this woman to understand, and what we need to understand today, loved ones, is this. Nothing, hear me, hear me so clearly right here. Nothing but a personal relationship with Jesus Christ can ever meet the requirements of true worship to God. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your walk with the Lord is like. But we need to hear that truth loud and clear from the voice of our Savior today. Nothing but a personal relationship with Jesus Christ can ever fulfill the requirements of true worship to God. See what Jesus just said there? In those three verses, just like Jesus' style... He turns everything anyone ever knew about worship on its head. Like that. It's a new hour. It's a new day. But look around today. Look around today. Look around this world today. There are literally 
billion, how many loved ones, billions of people are doing the same thing as the Samaritan woman? How many in this room today are doing the same thing as this Samaritan woman? Depending on certain places or practices and religious experiences in trying to offer true and acceptable worship to God and thinking that they are doing so. Some of these, I was so sobered this week, my heart just broke this week. As I did some research on this, things like people ringing bells. You pass by a certain stand of bells, you have to touch them all in order to worship or God will put you under a curse. People doing good works and thinking that they're going to somehow earn favor and righteousness with God. People lighting candles. People bowing down before and kissing idols, graven images. This isn't a once it happened thing. This is going on in billions of people, right in the city, loved ones. People thinking they need to face certain directions in order to pray or call out to God, otherwise, they're not offering Him true worship. People feeling the need to recite specific prayers or chanting certain verses over and over and over again because they're the only ones God will receive. These people aren't free in their worship, they're enslaved. Does it break your heart? See, because in all these things, they're doing these things, but in all these things, their hearts are far from God because the temple of true worship, Jesus Christ, is not dwelling in them. The true temple of worship is not in them. The true place that all true worship must come from is not in them. See, here's what Jesus did right here. You see this, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus made the cross the entrance to and the central piece of true worship. I'm going to say it again. Jesus made the cross the entrance to and the central piece of true worship. Why? Because here's what happens through his death on the cross and his resurrection. It gives birth to true worshipers. It gives birth to true worshipers. No longer is it Jew and Samaritan, but now it's a new race of worshipers, children of God. Children of God. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is why Christ is the focus of all true worship. And we're going to see that in a minute. But the question we need to answer today, loved ones, and this, honestly, I'm not going not to sugarcoat anything. This is the most important question of your life and mine. Not a word of a lie. And it is this. True worship of God flows from the presence of God. Does he dwell in you? Does he dwell? Does he live in you? And maybe you're here today, and you have never ever confess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior for whatever reason. Maybe you're like, he won't accept me. Maybe I'm too deep in my sin and I can't ever match up and I'm afraid he'll reject. Listen, maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're just like, man, I thought I was going to Thanksgiving lunch and I ended up at church with my friends. You know? Hey, 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 maybe that's you today. 
Listen, loved ones, loved ones, the question is, does Christ dwell in you? And you say, how? First step, through salvation in him alone. Believing that Jesus' words here to this Samaritan woman that he's trying to get across to her are the same words he's trying to get across to you and me today. That you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You must believe that he came and died as fully God and fully man to pay the penalty for your sin and mine upon the cross. And that he went to the cross for you and me, every sin that you've ever committed, that you're doing right now, or that you will ever do. And he rose again three days later, defeating sin and death for all time, paying the penalty of sin and death and hell for eternity for you and me, for all those who confess him as their Lord and Savior and believe that he is the Son of God. Will you repent of your sin, turn from it, and say, Jesus Christ, I need you as my Lord and Savior? Because there is no other true worship that can be offered through anything else. If you're here today, hear that word. That's for you. That's for you today. But here's the other thing that struck me. If you're here and you say you're a follower of Christ, let me ask you a question. Based on this truth right now, are you truly saved? Are you truly saved? Just add, Complete transparency, loved ones. Ask the Lord right now, am I truly saved? Sure, I confess Christ. You know, sh- sure, I'm going through the motions. I'm singing the songs. I'm doing the deeds. Maybe you even prayed a prayer once to appease your parents, recited the lines, but your heart wasn't genuine. See, one of the most stunning passages in Scripture for me is Matthew 7, 21 to 23. This question is so important. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me on the last day when they stand before me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who confess him as Lord. He says, Not everyone who says it will enter the kingdom. You made a confession, but your heart was empty. There was no temple of true worship in you. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Weren't we doing all the right things? Weren't we doing this in the name of God? Didn't we show that we were Christians? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There is no true worship without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. To live a life of true worship My worship must be offered from one place in Christ alone. Does he dwell in you? And from this, it must be offered in one way. Through Christ alone. Second point today. To live a life of true worship, my worship must be offered from one place in Christ alone. 
and be offered in one way through Christ alone. And the question we're confronted with from the last section of this text is this. True worship is through Christ alone. Am I worshiping in spirit and in truth? Am I worshiping in spirit and truth? Let's go back to the text. John 4, verses 23 to 24. But the hour is coming, Jesus goes on to say, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship. Notice the word must there. What's that? That's an imperative. What's an imperative? It's a command. They must worship in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus now declares how true worshipers will and must worship the Father. Notice what he does here. He makes a very clear distinction in these stunning verses between true and false worshipers. How do you tell? How do you know? Verse 23, he again mentions that at the hour, that is the time of his death and resurrection, and even in his present time on earth leading up to that point, true worshipers. The Greek word there for true means real or genuine. The ones who say, Lord, Lord, and he says, yes, enter into the joy of your master. Those worshipers will worship. Now, what are you talking about with worship? Greek word for worship is proskuneo. Proskuneo. And it means to bow down or give their allegiance to Christ alone. Not just on a Sunday. Not just when your kids are behaving. Or you're not having a conflict with your spouse. An allegiance to Christ alone in every part of our lives. And true worshipers will worship the Father through the Son the hour is coming through the Son. For the Father, God the Father, is seeking such people to worship him. Oh, would he find that here, loved ones? Does it ever occur to you, like, does it ever strike you that God the Father is actively seeking for people who will truly worship him? Does that make you want to say, here, Lord, please help. Please help me to be that. To offer what will bring you glory and you will not reject I pray that is our heart as a church. But look around today. You see how the enemy's at work today? Increasingly, we're told that there are many ways that we can so-called worship God, and he's going to receive it. And increasingly, those ways, you notice this, they do not include exalting Christ. Increasingly. You say, what do you mean? What do they exalt? Here it is. Man's abilities. The performance, the light show, the dry ice, all of those things. Nothing wrong in and of that itself except when it exalts it over the king. Exalting man's pride, exalting the values of the world. It breaks my heart most days when I turn on, I listen to, to Christian, so many different Christian radio stations, and it's exalting the, man, the work of man. Where's Christ? Where's Christ in that? Where is Christ in those songs? Where is Christ in those prayers? Where is Christ in that preaching? That's not true worship. 
Let's not deceive ourselves. Jesus is drawing a line in a very gentle way with this woman, but it's a line in the sand. It's a line in the sand. We exalt, instead of exalting Christ, we exalt false gods in our lives and how we live. What's your small g God you're exalting that needs to be brought low before the Lord today? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's my job, my status, my fear, my anxiety, my worry, my grades, my midterms that need to be brought low. To see Christ exalted. We see this. We exalt. Like look at this. Even in what we're singing. I'm so thankful. As an elder of this church. And as a senior pastor of this church. You'll notice every song that comes up here. What does it do? It exalts the king of kings. Christ is the center. This isn't man-centric fluff. Look at us. We're so good. Here's all my benefits. It's like Jesus is awesome, and we need him desperately, and he's the only one worthy of praise. You see that in the preaching. You see that in the prayers. This is what, what about this? Our, our, we started to exalt ourselves in the man-centric, in the motives as to why we're doing what we're doing things, serving others to get back something from them. We start to exalt ourselves in this instead of exalting Christ. And the summary, if I could sum all this up, I'd say this. Worship is becoming much more me-centered than Christ-centered. And let's be very crystal clear about something as Christ is very clear here. Lots of people will say that they worship God. Lots of people will say that they worship God, but here's the truth. If it doesn't exalt Christ, it doesn't exalt the Father, and it's not true worship. If it doesn't exalt Christ, it doesn't exalt the Father, and it's not true worship. This worship is the only worship that God will receive. Notice this. Because it's the only worship that he calls true. So if this is the only worship he calls true, what's every other form? False. I don't care how good it sounds. I don't care how popular it is. There's only one type of worship God calls true. It's through the sun. Otherwise, it's just good acting and good singing. So question, what does God say true worship is? You can't make a statement like that, Jesus, and then just kind of leave us hanging on this. Praise the Lord, he's a loving father, and he gives us exactly what this means. And we see that true worship is, first off, worship in spirit. What does that mean? Worship from the heart. Look again, verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. The Greek word there for spirit, it's not meaning Holy Spirit. The Greek word there for spirit means human spirit. Human spirit. True worship comes from a heart that has been transformed by Christ and is now filled with the Holy Spirit who increasingly directs all of our worship to Christ as we increasingly surrender more of each part of our lives to him. This is the mission of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 14, Jesus says, He will glorify me. He will take what is mine that I've declared to you, and he will glorify me with it. 
If he's not exalting Christ, if there's a, in the name of worship, there's people distracting from the exaltation of Christ, that's not true worship. Because the mission of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Christ. And so when you have people say, well, I'm just filled with the Spirit, and I'm going to howl, and I'm going to chant, and I'm going to do this, that's distracting from the very one true worship is called to exalt. Think I'm fired up about this? Yes. God forbid we become a church that is distracted from worshiping the king. Needs to stop. Now. It's the mission of the Holy Spirit. And this is why passionate worship is not uncontrolled, as we said, but as you'll see on the screen, the Holy Spirit fuels the passion in our praise. And if the Holy Spirit is truly fueling the passion of our praise, it's going to be, it's going to be this. Ready for a theology of worship? 1 Corinthians 14. It's going to be ordered. You're not going to see people running down the aisles, screaming, uttering languages we can't understand. You're not going to see it if it's under the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's job is to exalt Christ and Christ alone, not distract from him. Mm -mm. 1 Corinthians 14, it's ordered. It's Christ exalting. It's from a heart that's been transformed. And I will say this, as an elder and as a pastor, senior pastor in your church, we are called to shepherd the flock in true worship. And that will not stand. That type of worship will not stand in this house. Why? This is Christ's house. He gets the glory. The Holy Spirit is the one who fuels the passion and therefore it's under control. It's under control. You can't manufacture true worship. It's God-given and it's God-driven. Worshiping in spirit means true worship's coming from every part of our lives. The word spirit there means the human spirit. It's the heart. It controls everything. Mind, emotions, will, actions. It's not just some external action or practice, but it's coming from our thoughts. Our thoughts are directed to exalt Christ increasingly. Our actions, our words, our motives are increasingly directed at worshiping the Father by exalting Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. You got some examples? Yeah, let's drive this down a little bit. Get some more application. How about in our marriages? When that conflict arises, submitting to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. What's that? Worship. Out of worship to Christ. We submit to one another in humility. Drop the conflict, drop the accusations, drop the criticism, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ to see him exalted in that. That's worship in that situation. I'm humbling myself on you because I'm submitting out of reverence for Christ to see him exalted. This is worship as a lifestyle, loved ones. It's not trying to stake your claim and blame everybody else. How about in our parenting? It's worshiping Christ when your toddlers are out of control, we have four of them. I get it. Yeah, I know. Just got rebuked by my nine-year-old. I'm not a toddler. I get that. All right, I get that. All right, little man, I get it. 
But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we're not losing our cool on them. We're, we're not being harsh with them because Christ isn't harsh with us. And in that moment, instead of being worried or worked up, we go to a posture of worship. We go to a posture of worship and go to the king and say, Christ, help me to exalt you in this. This is why 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, whether eating or drinking, do it all to the glory of God. What's that? To the worship of God. When you're eating and if you struggle with gluttony, it's not stuffing your face and trying to find satisfaction in that. It's using self-control. Because we're glorifying Christ and not our fleshly desire. In our relationships, in our classrooms, how about this? In our trials and in the darkness. Choosing to worship Christ in the hurt, right in the middle of it. And in the pain, in the discouragement by declaring who he is and exalting him over that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And you're greater than what I'm facing. And the presence that is in me is greater than any power that could ever come against me. Right in the middle of that. Because here's the truth. Why, why do we focus this lifestyle of worship? Because you'll see it on the screen. True worship is not focused on personal advancement, but kingdom advancement. Kingdom advancement in the lives of your kids when you want to be impatient. Kingdom advancement in the life of your spouse and in your marriage when you want to lambaste them. Kingdom advancement in your classrooms by your work ethic and your roommates when you boldly step out for the gospel. Kingdom advancement there. Kingdom advancement in your workplaces. True worship is not focused on personal advancement, only kingdom advancement in every part of our lives and in the lives of others as people increasingly see the heart of God through his dwelling in yours. But the question is this. Are you worshiping Christ from a heart that is increasingly surrendered to him and increasingly exalting him? Are you worshiping Christ from a heart that's increasingly surrendered to him and increasingly exalting me. And you say, well, that's so hard. I can't do that. I, I get that. Hey, here's the, here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Ask. Ask him. Say, Lord Jesus, give me a heart to worship in spirit. To worship by the power of your Holy Spirit in every part of our lives. And here's, ready for some gospel truth? Remember this, loved ones. God will never command from you what he's not first willing to do in you. He will do it. Trust him. Trust him. So the second way we see that true worship, we're called to worship in spirit from the heart. But secondly, you hear, we're called to worship in truth. That is worship through the word. Through the word. Notice the wording. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship, verse 24 says, in spirit and truth. What's the word truth there? It's not culture's truth. It's not what's the popular truth of the day. Truth there in the Greek means the divine truth. God's truth revealed to man. It means worshiping God in a way that is consistent, that is consistent with how he's revealed himself in his word. What's that? That's called sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. And it's centered on Christ. Why on Christ? Because he's the word of God himself who has revealed the Father. Notice in verse 24 there, watch this. God is spirit. You see that word? God is spirit. You know what that means? It means divine, invisible, 
and cannot be comprehended by human senses unless he chose to reveal himself to us. Now get this. Ready? Ready? By the word becoming flesh, by Jesus Christ, fully God, becoming fully man. Look what happens. God made himself known in every way that it is possible to know him in this life by the word becoming flesh. And so true worship is not based on who culture says God is or on how we may want him to be, but on who he says he is through his revealed word, Jesus Christ. And so loved ones, this is why the pursuit of sound doctrine is so important through the preaching, through the teaching of God's word, and here's the reality, through abiding with Christ every day in your own life through abiding in him, in your homes, in your small groups, coming together as a church, making it a priority. Yes, to be in the word of God, here it is, every day. Every day. Why? Let me say it one last time today. It's right here. Because you and I cannot truly worship a God we do not truly know, and here's why. So question, last question of the day. Are you worshiping God increasingly in the truth of who he says he is through his word? Are you abiding? Are you abiding? Because loved ones say this, love you so much. Here's the reality. Abiding with Christ in his word each day is not an option if we are to live lives of true worship to God. Why? Because we must worship him in the truth through his word. Hope Ottawa. Hey, loved ones. As we launch into this ministry year, it's time to grab our Bibles and cling to them and cling to him, the word of God himself, every day. What's your next step? What's your next step to do that? Maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't know where to start. Okay, here's a great place for you. Glad you asked. This is a God Time 101 book. This is your first steps to getting into God's word. You can get them at the Connect desk at the back. Pick them up before you go. They're free of charge. We just want to get you in God's word every day. It's going to go step by step. Here's how you look at a text. And here's how you, here's how you uh, interpret a text by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's reading plans available there too. Okay? Chronological plans, ver- year over year plans, like everything. Go check it out. Start to take some tools to get in God's word. Maybe for some of you, it's getting accountability. Were you in the word of God? Get a brother or sister in Christ just to text. What'd you learn in the word today? What'd you learn in the word? Or maybe for some of us, for spouses, it's time to help your spouse reorganize their schedule so they can be in the word of God, uninterrupted time, and they can do the same for you. What is it? Because to live a life of worship, you must offer it from one place, in Christ alone, and you must offer it in one way, through Christ alone. This is the life of true worship lived in praise to the king and is the mark of the church that is truly alive in him. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. What you say goes. 
and God even preaching through this text today, I realize again just how much I need you. I need you to help me grow in a life of true worship in spirit and truth. God, forgive us and God, guard our hearts from making worship about us and other things. Guard, guard our hearts, Lord, from distracting others. Oh God, we pray. There is only one name that is worthy to be exalted. That is our King. That is our Savior. And that is Jesus. And it is Him we praise. And so, Father, would you be growing in us hearts of true worship through the cross of Jesus Christ. And even now, Holy Spirit, as you convicting as your convicting work in the hearts of your people, I pray that we would not kick back in pride, but would say, yes, Lord, please change me right now. I don't want to leave the same as when I came in. You can do it. And he who calls us is faithful, and you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and, let's stand and respond, please.